Outrageous Lovers. Welcome to our November episode of Outrageous Love, the podcast, episode eight, as we continue our series of Outrageous Love superintendents, culminating with Dr. Judy Baseman from Appleton Schools. We can't wait to bring her on. First, though, we have to affirm ourselves, right? As always, I want to do this on the front end because this is being recorded right after the announcement of our new president-elect. And I just want to kind of, regardless of what side of the politics you fall on, I just want to kind of theme our time together today with just the fact that the election is over, um, almost, <laughs> um, and that we're turning the corner, you know, to go down a new street. Um, I'm not, sh- I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see the same old houses, but at least we're go- we'll be going down a new street. And so first thing we got to do is, um, tell our faces that we're happy. So I just want you to smile. We always do that first to just remind ourselves that whatever we're going through, it's going to be okay. We're going to push through this just like we did, The week prior to the announcement of uh, the new president-elect, we were had a week of anxiety, a week of just apprehension. And then that announcement came. Right. And so, again, it doesn't matter what side of the politics you fall on. You know, we were able to move. We're able to move on. So we just want to tell our faces that we're happy. This is a reminder that no matter what it is, it's not going to be forever. It's going to pass. We got to we got to we got to work it through. Right. Um, And so. We need to do this for our students because they need they need to know that message. They need to see that message as well. All right. Um, let's go to the second affirmation. And what we're going to do is show ourselves some love by just giving a big old exhale. I just want to do a collective exhale, just like a big old woosah, just a big old woo. Right. That's what we want to do. We want to just give ourselves some love just because we can just turn the page we can move on to something new and so we're just going to do a collective exhale you know this has been over a year and a half of campaigning and election and and um, all the things around the voting and all of that and finally we can right so on my no matter where you are no matter where you're listening i want you on my three to just exhale. You probably already done it a uh, hundred times already. Because uh, again, uh, this is being made available to you like a week and a half after we actually recorded it. But it doesn't matter. It's timeless. Exhaling is timeless. So I want you to exhale on my three. Here we go. Collectively. One, two, three. <gasps> Whoo. Move on. All right. Affirmation number three, which is going to show some love to others, is going to have you actually, I want you to put something in writing so we won't be able to do it together. I want you to write a thank you note to somebody that you have not been, let's say, politically aligned with over the past four years or so. Either either side, again, I'm not taking sides here, uh, either side. And I just want you to write them a thank you note and thank them for something that has gone on, thank them for the lively debate, thank them for the heated discussions, thank them for uh, not talking to you for three months, you know, thank them for, I mean, I'm trying to theme it around like the thank you letters that um, 
Jimmy Fallon, you know, he has a book called Thank You Notes, something like that. And they're they're kind of sarcastic, meant to be funny. Um, so here's an example from his book. Thank you, Fantasy Football Draft, for letting me know that even in my fantasies, I'm bad at sports, right? Um, here's another one. That's um, I can't read that one. Thank you, Apple, for adding a camera to the iPad, iPod Nano. Now it's just like the iPhone, except it can't make calls, right? Um, there's some really good ones here. Thank you, guy in the revolving door who isn't pulling his weight for letting me handle all the pushing responsibilities while you handle all the waiting responsibilities. No, let me get it for you. You're the king of the hotel entrance, right? So they're kind of sarcastic, kind of tongue in cheek. And I want you just to write a little note. You could do it in the email, put it in the chat, but just try to reach out to someone that you have not been politically aligned with family member, cousin, you know, colleague, and just say, thank you. Thank you for being you, right? And let's try to make the appeal for for unity, make the appeal for uh, being being able to have different opinions, but not being disagreeable, for, for making the appeal for getting along, despite us looking at things in a different way. And this applies for our equity, racial justice, CLR work as well. It's not just political. It goes for that as well. So if you know someone who, what we call in our world, resistant or reluctant around the equity work, send them a thank you note, send them a thank you email, send them a thank you letter. Yeah, they're going to kind of probably say, yeah, right when you send it. But I just want to, it's our way of just trying to reach out to people that we may not exactly be aligned with, but we want to let them know that we can still have unity in difference. And that's what this work, that's what this has to be about going forward. And that's been the um, call of our, of our new, uh, you know, of our upcoming uh, president. And I think we should follow that in stride as we extend that to the work of CLR of cultural responsiveness, of outrageous love. So the affirmation is put it in writing and send somebody that you're not politically aligned with or somebody that you know is not uh, in alignment with what we're trying to do in terms of outrageous love and send them a thank you note. Okay, and make it tongue in cheek. Try to make it fun. Okay, that's our affirmation. Now, Let's continue with the theme of um, the election and uh, what we've been experiencing as a country, you know, the past um, couple of months or so. And and that is that we want to focus on we've been focusing on leadership. And if anything, this election was about it was about leadership. And, And four months ago. We did a, we started our series, our superintendent series about what it meant to be an outrageous, an, a superintendent who loved outrageously around this work. You know, I gave some my my little list, which you can go back to that episode. I think it's episode four and you can hear that. But I wanted to bring it full circle because this is our last um, this is our last edition of the series. And we've also now elected a new president. And so it's totally in alignment because at that time, four months ago, we were in such a need for leadership and we recognized the void that came with 
the lack of leadership that we were having at the time around the pandemic, but more importantly, around the racial justice piece, where we needed this call for healing. We needed this call for positivity. We needed this call for unity. So now four months later, we can kind of, the timing is perfect because we can kind of bring it to a head as we forge forward. And I want to give you in this opening commentary, my two cents, right? That's what we're going to call it from now on, by the way. My opening commentary is going to be my two cents, or as we said in the community, my two cents. Okay. All right. And as we culminate, we've, we've, we've heard four, we've heard from four outstanding superintendents. We started off with um, Dr. Hardin Bartley from U city schools who, who really gave us the perspective of outrageous love from, from a woman perspective, from an African-American woman perspective in a in a in a small district then we went to dr lori hines who uh again came from that female woman perspective but now more um from her irish quote-unquote irish and italian background right um and 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 someone who's trying to you know what it really talked a lot about being a superintendent as a woman in a in a field that's been that's been dominated by men and so we heard the same thing that we heard from Sharonica, in essence. Then last month, we heard from Dr. Lavelle Brown, who, you know, kind of came at it in a whole different direction, really focused a lot on ethnic culture, religious culture. But at the same time, what it's like being a African-American man within a superintendency position and, you know, getting the, the type of pushback that he's gotten from the community. And now we go to Dr. Judy Be- Baseman, which... You'll hear very soon in her interview, a lot of the same themes re- are reiterated. What I want to end this series with is something that I noticed over the course of the four months. And number one was every single one of these superintendents have been through all of my trainings and some of them two, three, four times. And I, I don't know if that's something that I didn't mention when we started the series. Uh, Judy, Lavelle, Lori, and Sharonica have all been in my trainings and I would say all of them, it's been multiple times. And so I want to throw in another criteria. A leader models what he or she wants from the people that he or she is leading. And if they all model being lifelong learners. They weren't, they're not the type of superintendent that I've run into tons of times that's right there for the opening, right there for the introduction. And 15 minutes later, they're out the side door, right? And so that's that's number one. They model. Number two, they've all when we were doing the interview, they were all going through something. They were all, you know, facing issues around covid, facing issues around the racial justice piece. Um, Three of the four uh, interrupted their 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 work day to come and sit with us for the time to do the interview in the middle of just major, major, if I could just say like this shit. Right. But yet they see the the importance of this work. They could easily, easily say, no, nah, you know, I don't, you know, we could do this later. Can we do it two months or not? Whatever. But each one of them stood up and said, you know what? This is important. I want to put my voice into it, put my voice into, you know, the work that we've been doing with them. And it was much appreciated, but it was in the mix of, of going through a storm. And I, I mean that literally. Um, and I won't give the dirty details for each one, but each one was facing something very um, challenging to them in the moment that they did the interview. So the sec- the second 
point that I want to make is that leaders stand in the fray and they stand strong and this work doesn't take a hit. And when I mean by this work, I'm talking about racial justice, equity, and cultural responsiveness. It does not take a hit. Okay. So model and stand strong in the strong winds. That's what, that's what I wanted to, to add to what I opened with four months ago when we opened up the series. All right. So that's my two cents. Um, the overall theme though is we've turned the page nationally. So we can begin to go down a different street, but this street has to be one of unity, accepting the fact that we're, we're going to have differences, but we can still get along um, and that we're going to have to reach to the other side. Give a hand, say, hey, let's meet in the middle and have dialogue, have conversation. Um, that's our theme. Now, with that said, I can't think of a more perfect person for this last session, and that's Dr. Judy Baseman from Appleton school district. And if those of you are like, well, where is Appleton? Appleton is in Wisconsin. Um, about, I'm just doing my own driving. It's about, um, about a hour drive, maybe a little less, maybe a little more from green Bay. And then another 90 minutes or so from Milwaukee. And I may be a little rough on my numbers there, but that's what I remember driving. Okay. Um, that's where Appleton is. Um, and, Judy Baseman is uh, Judy Baseman is the superintendent of the of Appleton, which is the sixth largest school district in Wisconsin. She's been an educator for 38 years and uh, 10 of those years was a K-12 music teacher in Wisconsin, Montana and Illinois. Um, for the past 24 years, she has been with the Appleton um, schools, Appleton area school district, where she served as an assistant principal, a principal as well as um, recently assistant superintendent for the West Cluster. Um, she has a bachelor's, bachelor's degree in music education from Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, and her master's and doctorate in educational leadership from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She's a community person and serves on several committees and boards, just to name a couple, the Healthy Teen, Men, Healthy Teen Minds Leadership, um, as one example, the Community Early Learning Center, the Fox Cities Performing Arts Center, the United Way, as well as the Appleton Youth Education Initiative. So like our other superintendents, very busy, very involved, uh, very diverse, very diverse in her background. So with that great introduction and as a culmination of our Outrageous Love Superintendent Series, let's welcome to VAB Nation... Dr. Judy Baseman. Welcome to Outrageous Love, the podcast. Dr. Baseman, so glad to have you. So glad to be here, Sharaki. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a long time coming. I still remember the first time that I met you, I saw you. I don't remember the school, but you came to the training um, that we did. It was with a small group. Um, it was and uh, it was prior to you going into the superintendency. That's right. And then we went across the street and we had lunch That's right. and uh, we were talking and I didn't know you. I didn't know who you were, but I noted that you got it. Like whatever it is, I left that lunch saying whomever that person is she understands 
And then a little later, I find out who you were. <laughs> like you were like the big person, right? You know, <laughs> like, oh, okay. So I just want to let you know that that was really the first time that I acknowledged that you like, we need leaders like you in this work going all the way back to there. Even before, you know, you kind of became superintendent. So I just wanted to point out, because I like for people to know where my original connection is with the person. And that was my original connection with you. So I wanted to acknowledge that. So you, you're not, it's not new for you. You've been, you've been kind of rolling this way for a while. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I, I do remember that the place we were, the Copper Rock for lunch, and it was just, you know, kind of picking your brain a little bit there. I, I know I asked a lot of different questions and you were so great to just stay with us and, you know, get the work started. And we started very small right. back in the day. And a couple of years ago, you came and you spoke to the entire staff, everyone from right. building engineers to secretaries to educators and paraprofessionals. And it was, it was a great day. And I'm so glad for the partnership. So. Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. And I love, I love Appleton. I love you. I love you, the work that we're doing there. And we're going to, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. Totally. We're going to get uh, there. So, okay, let's get going here. Um, give us some bio information. I read your resume. You know, we got all the essentials. But I like to ask people something about your bio that is related to cultural responsiveness that you might want to share with VAP Nation that sort of has you seen a common thread, you know, throughout your going back, maybe even to your childhood throughout the years. Yeah. So um, I grew up in a really small uh, town in southeastern Wisconsin, Watertown, Wisconsin, um, not diverse at all in terms of um, ethnicity, um, certainly uh, not racially diverse at all. Um, German town. Uh, so Wasserstadt is what it is in German. And um, my, my family, uh, a couple of generations back, came from Germany. And so um, it was interesting because... Um, we, as a family, um, my parents, neither one of them, uh, went to college. So I was a, a first generation college graduate and, um, they were so supportive of the importance of lifelong learning. So even though they themselves, um, you know, didn't uh, engage in higher education, they certainly supported, uh, my brother and my sister and I to do that, um, we didn't expand our horizons very far, though, because we we all three went to the same Lutheran liberal arts college, which was, again, not not very diverse. And so really, uh, until uh, I, I married and my husband and I were both music teachers, we moved around a lot initially. And um, actually, um, both of us taught uh, the Fort Peck Native American Reservation in Montana for mm -hmm. a couple of years. And that was the most uh, diverse area that I, you know, had experienced myself. Just I, I taught uh, with wonderful colleagues and staff and learned um, just how to participate in um, traditional aspects of Native American life at that particular location and was just welcomed and loved and stayed there a couple of years. And then, then we eventually moved to Chicago. So, you know, I was growing in my sort of um, experiences. Um, and I, I would say that as, as an educator, you know, um, I taught music. And so there were some things about 
music that pulled people together. So um, individuals in, in, a, in a musical group, like a choir, whatever band, you you just join and something about the music draws you together. So that thread of collaboration and, you know, if you're all focused on a common vision, a common goal, whether that's a performance or whatever it might be in your, in your classroom or your, or your district that to me, collaboration is huge. That's, that's how, that's how I work. And I think it's probably started from a fairly, you know, successful teaching career in music and, and then carried over as, as an administrator, a principal, and, and now as a superintendent. So it's a, say collaboration has really been huge for me and, working alongside people, it brings me joy. Awesome. 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 Um, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, the music part of your background is new to me. This is why I love doing these uh, interviews. You learn things. So let's kind of, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say, but I'm guessing in my mind when your light bulb moment was as an educator, when you realize all students are not educated equitably. And, you know, I kind of look at it as the slap in the face if it were a Hollywood movie, you would sort of we'd see the we'd hear the big crescendo music in the background, just to make a music reference, right? If it were a Hollywood movie, it was the moment that you realized, wow, I cannot do the plan A, I gotta go with a plan B. Um, and it had to do with issues of race, culture, language, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it, it it's the feeling of an inequity that causes you to do something different. That's what I'm trying to tap into. So when was that moment for you? Um, that moment was actually when we were in Chicago and I was uh, teaching actually at uh, a Catholic school on the north side of Chicago. And um, I taught music and then they wanted this little Lutheran girl to help by being an assistant principal. So they welcomed me in there and I, I did that. Um, but one of the things I did as an assistant principal was to um, give an entrance exam uh, for students because they, were, they could be selective. At that time, that was uh, late 80s, early 90s. And um, one of the uh, students whose family was engaged in this school, um, he started having some some learning disabilities. Well, we didn't know at the time they were learning disabilities, sorry, learning challenges. Um, and we, we, we couldn't serve him. And so the only way that Dennis could get his needs met was to walk over to the public school. Mm. And so that sort of ex- exclusion and extra hardship um, just really resonated with me. And I, I thought, I, 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 can't, I can't do this anymore. And so we made a point when we moved up here to Wisconsin to be working in public schools and actually very diverse over at Wilson was my first position here in the district. And um, we, I just remember that just feeling of we need to be able to educate all kids. They shouldn't have to walk down the street or, you know, we need to be inclusive and, and, and um, able with the services to include all kids and help all of them learn and grow. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, I like that. I like that example because, again, you're expanding um, how we're looking at this, you know, a lot of people, as you know, we talk about looking at it through a racial lens and then we have the ethnic culture lens. We look at we look at all the different identities and 
couple of sessions ago, Dr. Hines, she brought in the issue of language because her light bulb moment was interacting with a student who was speaking Spanish. And now you're bringing in the, the learning challenge, you know, what we would today would call special needs. or And so it's good because I think the more we show people that this work can be conceptualized around the need to better serve, right? Um, I think we have a far, a far, a farther reach and we increase our chances of, of, of serving students like they need to be served. So I love that example. Um, just a quick, let me just kind of put the bio here together a little bit. So when you, um, when you were in the classroom where you, you came back, you know, to Wisconsin, did you see yourself where you are now? <laughs> you know, like did, back then, not saying that you said, oh, I'm going to be superintendent, but did you, did you see a trajectory then when you entered it, that sort of public school environment going from there? Yeah, actually, when um, when we were out in Montana, um, I you know was teaching music there, and um, I had uh, two different principals. One at uh, the middle school there, and he was absolutely phenomenal. But then at the high school, because I did secondary, it was a small enough school system. Um, the high school principals actually, we had two. <laughs> I was there for two years, two different high school principals, and. The contrast between those building administrators, I decided right then and there, I, I wanted to go and get my administrator's license because I felt that made such a difference for me as a teacher to have a leader that inspired me and uh, was someone I could trust as opposed to the other individual who, well, <laughs> was not someone I could trust. <laughs> right. was not someone of integrity, um, not someone who built strong relationships with teachers and staff and kids. So uh, then we came back to um, Wisconsin and I got my degrees over at Madison, UW-Madison, kept teaching music for a while and then uh, took my first administrative position in Chicago. So we moved around a lot, but oh, okay. uh, a lot of great experiences and it's just that passion to know that leadership makes a huge difference. Absolutely. At all, whatever position you are in, whether you're a student, whether you're a staff member, a community member, family member, the leadership, uh, not only at the building level, but at the district level matters. And uh, the, the ability to inspire and build trust with people is, is huge. So I don't know if I had like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. Um, in my mind, but I did get encouraged along the way by people I worked with. And then um, Tom Scullin was the superintendent before the previous superintendent, and he kind of nurtured me when I was uh, at the building level. So um, I think he saw something in me and encouraged me to come as an assistant superintendent. And then now here I am. So there it goes. Yep. Yeah, and that's how it works. Somebody sees something in us. Right. I love I love how that works. And we do the same. We need to do the same things for our students. Right. We need to plant that seed. And, you know, you know, we want, that's why we need teachers encouraging and empowering our students because uh, someone did it for us. Um, all right. Let's go to the next question. Now, the next question. Trust me, it's the one that all the Appleton people are waiting to hear about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the rings of culture question. And this is where you're going to tell us two of the rings that resonate with you. But at the same time, you know, you try to give us a little info on uh, on you that we may not know in the from a cultural standpoint. Which two rings resonate with you? 
so so I had to, I chose gender mm-hmm. for one um, because in the superintendent's role, um, you know, those of us that are female, the the percentage is you know pretty low. So at least in Wisconsin, when I look around the room, um, primarily male, and so I think um, that that has has been an asset I feel just in terms of the way I, and that it's probably not specific to gender necessarily, but I feel that there've been some challenges that I've had to really play on my strengths and be okay with that style. And, um, and, and that, you know, takes, takes people in different places in terms of their ability to relate and respond to that leadership. But, um, I've, I've leaned into it and I've, I've, um, developed some, some things that I feel have, um, made me a stronger leader because of, you know, not being the, what you might assume is the typical, you know, superintendent in the state of Wisconsin. So that's one. Okay. Okay. And, and then, and we, we, those of us who are female in the position, there's a little extra connection there too. So we kind of, uh, talk frequently and, and share, you know, Mm -hmm. stories and, strategies and things. Um, and then the other one is, uh, you know, religion. So I, my faith is very important to me. Um, my husband is now a, a pastor. So my background is Christian Lutheran. And um, I grew up in the Lutheran church, went to a Lutheran school, sang in Lutheran choirs throughout the years. Um, and my faith, my, you know, my faith is what helps me when things get really challenging and I felt called to this role actually very prayerfully considered when it was open and um, felt felt called still feel called even on (laughs) the challenging days (laughs) and but uh, I just yeah that's a core core part of of who I am and I love uh, supporting my husband in his his role and teach Sunday school and sing in the choir and do all that good stuff. Let's go now to, I think it's one of the more, more um, in-depth questions because we get at this notion of situational appropriateness and um, you are the second quote unquote, Caucasian white person on our podcast. Right. And so I've, I, I assume that the question may be a little different, but it depends on what angle you're coming from. Right. So the question really gets at assuming, and I know you understand what I mean by situational appropriateness. So I'm not going to, I don't have to go into that, but I, what I want to get at is I'm interested in your angle. When was a time that you had to practice um, a cultural linguistic behavior where you were either successful or not successful, right? Um, but at the same time, you were not trying to give up who you were. Well, I, I had a couple of different situations in mind. Um, I'll go with the first one. When I was a principal at Foster Elementary, um, we, uh, a third of our students were Hmong. And um, at the time, one of our students was very ill with a terminal um, illness. And so 
as principal, I, t- you know, took some things over to the family and went and, and visited. And I felt not prepared for the, um, how to approach, you know, the multi-generational, very close knit, um, way that they were surrounding what is, you know, a really tragic situation. And I didn't really, I wasn't prepared. I, I think I did okay. But after that experience, I really made a point of um, keying into people who could could help me understand so that when situations came up in the future. So I, I made a point to kind of connect with um, staff who were of Hmong background. And also now I have the very great advantage of having Polly Mu as our diversity, equity, and inclusion yes. person. And she has gone alongside me to different events or different gatherings, I should say. Another, which was unfortunately a, um, a, a funeral for uh, a Hmong high school student who had actually committed suicide. And that was, and but I had Polly alongside with me. And so I've worked hard to kind of get some supports knowing that I'm going to encounter things that I'm, I might not be situationally appropriate. And so she has been very good about, you know, before we attend or go somewhere, she'll say, now here's what you're going to see. And here's some things, you know, that you could say or do. And, and through the years I've had, you know, people like that, that I've been willing or have been willing to really be supportive for me. In fact, the last Hmong New Year, uh, Polly actually gave me my clothing to wear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess I didn't dress up enough or something the last. Re- no, no, I shouldn't. Right, right, right. She, right. Uh, she gave me a gift of, of a beautiful long skirt to wear that was, you know, I think uh, she uh, realized that in my position as superintendent, I needed to appear a certain way to reflect the um, maybe cultural expectations for someone in that type of position. So she made sure that I got the cues and looked right and said, said she helped me write my comments as well. Cause I was asked to speak. Mm. So I think, you know, I've been very you know blessed to have people that I can go to, to ask and get help and, you know, and do a better job, hopefully to be. Yeah, relationally yeah. appropriate as it can. Okay, okay. And are you? Would you say that this is coming out of your your? You know, I call it wasness, innocence, into understanding Hmong culture from from an ethnic standpoint. Uh, is that is that is that where you're saying that I had to learn out of my whiteness? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. I just want. I just want to unpack that for folks. Yep. A little yep. Bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And that over the years, you've always just sort of equipped. You know, one of the things, Judy, is that a lot of teachers will say, "Well, do you have a book, or do you have a manual, or do you have a guide <laughs> on the various cultures?" And I've always said, "This is not an academic study. You need to be an anthropologist in your classroom. You need to." pay attention to the cult to cultural behaviors of your students and they will they will teach you what to what to expect. Um so do you think that over the years, like right now, could you could you just roll would you if that situation happen again, do you feel now more adept to kind of go in 
and uh, be situationally appropriate? I I do. Um, I'm there's all so, but for example, with the tragic suicide, I mean, there was a whole nother layer with that that I, you know, who who could prepare you for that? But um, it just because of the beliefs and so on, the um, there's a whole nother meaning to suicide within the Hmong culture and beliefs. And so I was asked to speak at that particular situation and I didn't have time to get any notes or know what to say other than one of the elders came to me and said, we, we want you to send the message that there is help and that none of these young people need to resort to that. So mm-hmm. it gave me a little bit of, of preparation, but, um, uh, it was just devastating. And, you know, there were a lot of young people there at the time at at, this um, funeral. And um, so I was able to speak, but I'm so glad that they gave me at least what they were hoping to hear um, as elders in, in the family. So, um, so I, I think generally, you know, I have a better understanding just because of over the years participating in different pieces, but there still are aspects like, like this tragic event that who can be prepared for that? I mean, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough right there. No, no doubt. Um, I, I wanted to, I like, I'm always interested because typically when I'm talking to someone who's of color, they will immediately go to the ethnic dynamic, not always, but when I'm not talking to a person of color, it's sort of wide open because they may give an example from gender. They may give an example from their positionality, like being a superintendent, um, or they may go with their wasness. And so when I do have this situation, I like to really unpack it because I think that is less obvious. So meaning, and you tell me if you agree or disagree with this, some people will say, and I've heard this, well, I'm white. I don't have, I don't have to practice situational appropriateness, right? And that's obviously that's not true. Right. right? Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's well, I would say that in, in one of the challenges of this position is that you do get invited or expected, you know, to attend a lot of different events around the community, and um, you, I, I have had to step out into in ways that I haven't in my entire life. And so always to be ready and watchful and maybe do some homework ahead of time, um, you know, just to make sure that, you know, you you never want to offend people. And certainly I've had great colleagues. Karen Nelson is the uh, diversity and inclusion coordinator for the city of Appleton. And she and I were actually hired the same summer um, together. And she's been wonderful with assisting me and, going alongside to different things. And, um, yeah, I think generally people just appreciate seeing you, but beyond just showing up, I do want to be situationally appropriate. And so do my best to learn from people who become really good friends and colleagues. So. Right. So what you're telling me is when you go to the soul food restaurant there, you don't uh, eat your chicken with a fork and knife. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I get right down and <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want to, I want to make sure. Okay, uh, and that, by the way, next time I'm there, I'm holding you, Ben, and Amy to uh, 
treat me to the soul food restaurant. I'm gonna let you know that uh, because my daughter went and I haven't been there. So how's your daughter doing? She's doing great. She's in Green Bay. Yep. And uh, she's doing great. So far, so good. Yep. 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 I plan to bring her on uh, later on um, to talk about her new role as a public defender. So cool. Um, All right. Last piece here. Um, You know, we all need to be continually fed, inspired, um, you know, something to give us energy. You know, we all need charge. Right. Even those of us who are deeply invested in the work like myself, I still need charge. What song, artists, uh, you know, music, you're a musician, you're, you're, you're musician, you're into music, but what, what part, form of art resonates with you specifically around the work of cultural responsiveness, racial justice, the work of equity that sort of gets you pumped up, fired up, you know, when you, when you need a lift, like what, what, what carries you through? Well, uh, around, um, my office, I've been purposeful about different framed pieces that I have. And one of my first, um, and I'm looking to the side here because I have it, so I show you, but I know they can't see it. But basically, I've been given gifts over the years from my um, Hmong colleagues. And this is a, this is a story quilt. And um, I think what I love so much about it, and the other one that I have on the other wall, is is that it, it really... It, uh, pictures this journey that, that we're all on and very visually shows um, different people, different places that we encounter through our lives, each, each of us being unique, but having the common fact of journeying through uh, with others and learning along the way and um, sharing that story. And so um, each of these pieces, you know, shows a unique story that was that was shared with me and so over the years just have kind of collected that and and appreciate having it here to remind me that you know we are all on a journey and we need to be open to the people we meet and share with along the way and seek others out and keep learning so absolutely yeah that was, that was nice too um maybe uh we'll just image something just so people can not that exact one, but yeah. maybe something like yeah. that, so people can reference it. Oh, that's great! Um, and it, these are all 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 on you in your office, so you can just walk in and kind of give it a look and get that little, that little, nice. yeah, yeah, inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you. This was great. Um, something that I immediately thought about when I thought about this outrageous love superintendent series. I immediately thought of you. Um, so thank you so much. And I just want to give a quick shout out officially to Ben and Amy. Yes. Who have been, you know, really, really, you know, the worker bees around this, you know, so I just want to let them know that we love them and we are going to get around to having them on the podcast, but I had to start with you (laughs) and work our way through. So, um, you have great support system there. So I want to say Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, uh, Ben and Amy show, you know, they are such, they are so dedicated and we just had this wonderful training with you yeah. again with our entire staff. And, um, it just, it permeates the organization really. And, and, and I think without Ben and Amy's leadership, we would not be where we are today. And, and that's another piece about that collaboration, that, um, the willingness to, to share the work. And so thank you for your persistence, for pushing us and for sticking with us. We appreciate that so much. 
Thank you. Thank, and we're we're not done yet, right? My we are not oh, done yet. We're not done yet, right? And I'm gonna see it all the way through. Um, and that was that's been my commitment post George Floyd with a lot of the districts that I've been working with that we must finish what we started. And so I, I, you got me whether you want me or not. Okay, I want to let you know that. <laughs> I'm glad to know it. Right. So I know you have a very busy day. Thank you for taking the time, and um, we look forward to our return to Appleton in person. Sounds great. We'll have some soul food. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Dr. Baseman, for uh, your words, your wisdom, giving us your time. Um, I really like the uh, diversity that we're experiencing through these journeys to responsiveness um, and the fact that I get to learn things about people that I've been working with, you know, for the last three, four, five, six years, but really haven't had a chance to dig in deeply. So um, that was that was that was great. And so we want to now transition for um, our 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 closing out the series and looking forward to the next month, uh, December, where we're going to just kind of go back to what we've been doing previous to the series. We're going to have a special holiday edition. Um, I do want to reiterate something, though, that Dr. Baseman said in terms of something she learned as a teacher. I think it was when she was in the Montana um, on, uh, schools when, uh, you know, everyone wants a good leader basically, regardless of your politics, regardless of where you fall along the lines of the need for diversity, equity, inclusion, or cultural responsiveness, you know, I've never met too many people who are like, I don't want good leadership, you know, who needs it, right? So I want us just to keep that in mind and what it means for you to have a good leader, or or if you are a leader, what it means to be a good leader. Um, because, you know, we all know there's a hundred different metaphors, analogies without the head, there is no body. And so um, we want, we want to just thank all the leaders who are loving outrageously, not just the four that appeared on our, on the podcast, but just in general, we want to thank you for what you're doing and please continue to, to love our kids outrageously. Um, With that said, um, we're going to close out uh, again Going back to next month, we'll have a special holiday edition uh, with a very special guest. But as usual, we're going to keep that a secret till the time comes. I want to thank my editor, Bob the Builder, who actually it is his birthday month. So happy birthday, Bob the Builder. Um, And I want to dedicate this episode to um, Richard Proctor. Richard Proctor was my eighth grade teacher at St. Paul elementary school in Los Angeles. And he came in as a, as a replacement for a teacher that we ran out, right? I don't know if I put it like that, but she left. Uh, her, name, her, uh, her name was Miss Witherspoon. And uh, Mr. Proctor came in and he kind of uh, brought order to the house um, very, very, in a very interesting way. But what I remember mostly is he gave us, conf- he didn't give us confidence, but he brought our confidence out and would not settle for less. And so he taught me the importance of high expectations from the teacher 
because the minute he walked in that classroom, he demanded the very best from us, no matter what. And he was dogmatic, dogmatic about it. And so in addition to my upbringing, he, he also gave me he he's the one I remember the in my elementary years as just what you can get out of a student when you have high expectations. And I want you to we talk about this all the time in our staff developments, that it's a highly intangible piece of the work, hard to measure, hard to quantify, but very, very important. And that is high expectations and to not expect less of your students, regardless of their background. It doesn't matter if they're poor. It doesn't matter if they're coming from a certain racial background. We have to demand the very best for them. And here's the good news. They can do it. They can do it. In my own experience, I've never had a student that I expected the very best of let me down. And I mean that sincerely. Does that mean that they passed the test? No, maybe not. But they gave me their best. So we got to assist on that. We got to demand on that. We cannot let them off the hook because of their circumstances. So I dedicate this episode to Mr. Proctor. Thank you, Mr. Proctor, for demanding the best of me. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs>